Yes, my children, I am at it again. <laughs> well, you know, in my own defense, because I think I've done a lot of podcasts, and I think many of my podcasts, yes, I sat down on the old bed, many of my podcasts, when I listen to them or think about them after I've done them, I realize, oh, no, one, I give a lot of counsel. Um, I separate things, really, not just for identification purposes, but um, in a way to help people more clearly see the the difference between things, whether it's the difference between two things or three things or four. The number doesn't matter. It's It's the intent. And the intent is to, one, identify, but more so give you a comparison. What, what are the differences and in, in why are these differences important? And what are the significance of the differences? So, you know, you can, I'm doing your homework is what I'm doing. And I don't mind doing it because it benefits me. Because I consider these things, you know, people, I consider, you know, what people I'll get involved with. Everything. This, really, everything. Some things are automatic, like my heartbeat and breathing. Uh, my, uh, uh, I had to get it out. My yawning. You know, these things are parasympathetic. I don't think about yawning. It just happens. <laughs> All other things, though, that are not parasympathetic in, you know, in essence, are things that I think about and make decisions and test my theories and all that stuff. Now, I do hear, I call it BS, but <sighs> when I say BS, it's like saying forget about it. It has many meanings, and it depends on the tone, and it depends on when you examine what I'm saying, and then you hear me say in that BS. I could just be saying in all that other stuff, or else I could be saying, for instance, if I say um, something like, you know, yeah, but this, you know, they're saying that, you know, Palestinian in, in, in Israeli conflict, the Israelis are the, are the ones who are the, you know, the bad guys and all that other BS. Okay. So what I'm saying is, is I expect you to have some understanding about the Palestinian Israeli uh, conflict, which has been going on forever. It seems I expect you to have some understanding of it. So when I say in all that other BS, I'm talking about the fact that, you know, Hamas fires and Hezbollah fires rockets into Israel. Israel retaliates in defense. And, of course, Israel is branded as the bad guy. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to say to you and all the other things you know about the conflict in relation to my defense of the Israelis. That's all it really comes down to. But if I say something like, um, yeah, you know, his BS what I'm talking about is his fraudulent statements. Because when I, you know, when I center or identify a person, then what I'm saying is what they're saying is false. You know, yeah, we had to listen to his BS. What I'm saying is we had to listen to his lies or exaggerations. Because, um, and that's a really fine line, because exaggerations aren't always lies. Lies are always lies, but exaggerations are not always lies. Sometimes an exaggeration is to give emphasis 
or to give a perspective of something. You know, that fish was as big as a boat. Well, nobody in their right mind is going to call him a liar because he doesn't mean the fish was as big as the boat. What he means is that it was a huge fish. But to accentuate or, you know, um, to, to give, you know, your perspective that, hey, this was a huge fish, he says the fish was as big as the boat expecting you to have the brains and common sense to realize he's not claiming that the fish was actually the size of the boat, you know, but some people just dying to discredit a person or to be in the right. I know a lot of people like that. They want to be in the right so badly. If you make a statement and say, Oh, I was, you know, I made a mistake and you go and you correct the statement, they'll hold you to the first statement. Which to me, you know, when I see people like that, I just shake my head. Because if somebody says something or does something, whatever, and realizes it's wrong, it's a mistake, and corrects it, you should be thrilled. <sighs> Excuse me. You should be thrilled that they realized what they did was wrong or they realized what they thought or said or whatever that it was not correct or it was not right, and then they, they corrected it, um, you should be applauding them because that means now they know the truth, and if they're an honorable person, they will make that adjustment in their life so they're not misrepresenting the truth again. So I'm always thrilled with people who, no matter what it is, when I'm talking to them sometimes and I'm explaining to them what I know, and I can see the, you know, in their mind, I can just see that they're beginning to figure it out. And it's something as simple, um, like a woman, well, I've heard a lot of women have said this to me, but, but it's one woman in particular, you know, all men want, all men want women's, women's for sex. Uh, and I said, no, that's not true. I, I said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, men love sex. Most men, um, but I said, well, how do you explain homosexuals? It's like, stop the conversation right in its tracks. I said, well, what about homosexual men? They don't want to have sex with women. They want other men. Well, I'm not talking about them. See, this is the door began to open. So, and I was respectful of her. So I said, well, I said, haven't you ever known men? Like men you worked with, maybe old men. Um, oh, they might look at you and, and, and say, yeah, you look cute today. And stuff. But I said, did they ever, you know, move on you? Make, you know, did they ever pursue you? And no. And I said, well, don't you think the reason they didn't is because they didn't want to have sex with you? And you said, well, you know how they, they hide that stuff. And I said, I said, whoa. Isn't it true that men who want to have sex, they go after the woman? Then she admitted, said, well, yeah, you're probably right. And, well, the, the thing was, in the end, she concluded, yeah, you." she said to me, she said, I hadn't really, hadn't really thought about it like that, but you're probably right. There are some men who respect women and don't do that stuff. So I, was, I thought, great. So sometimes it's something that can be easily dispelled and proven to be true or not true. Now, let's begin the discussion. Let the games begin. I am concerned. Not for myself, because I'm very aware of this. I'm more concerned for other people who 
I have. Okay, let me try that again. I'm concerned for people who are at wherever, whatever stage they are in life. Um, and you've heard me, if you've listened to my podcast, which very few, only a couple people do. So, but if you were to listen, were to listen to my podcast, you would hear me speak about, um, you know, the four seasons of life, which goes from zero to 20, you know, 21 to 30, 31 to 40 and, you know, 40 20, 40, yeah, 40 to 60, you know, 41 to 60, and then 61 to 80. The spring, summer, fall, and winter of life. You've heard me speak of that. And if you listen to one particular podcast of mine, I break down in great detail those four stages. Now, you can do the four stages, which I would suggest you think about, and... uh, really give us some thought but um let's take the second stage which is the summer of life um i see a lot of people living in the latter you know the ending part of the first stage through the second and through the you know in in the third somewhere in the third i see those people what do i see I see people who have not prepared, who have not done the things they needed to do in the stages of life preceding their age right now. So if the person, say, is 40-something years old, say 46, no, let's say 50, 51, okay, 51, because that means they completed the first two stages of their life. They're in the third stage. If you take that person in their third stage who has not properly lived the previous stages of their life, they're not prepared. They're not. Or they're less prepared than they should be. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, So this may be someone who, say, middle class, made decent money, didn't live within their means, didn't pay their bills on time, all that kind of stuff, was irresponsible, um, didn't honor their marital vows. There could be a combination of any things, uh, various things, but they did not properly live, you know, the first two stages of their life. Now they're in the third. And you can do the past, present, and future thing with this too, and that's what I'm going to do. Their past is they, didn't, they really didn't prepare. Their present is... They don't have much time to prepare for the future. They don't. Then that is the consequence of not living um, the various stages of our existence properly. Because when you're 51 years old, be advised your career is coming to an end. It's almost reached its completion. Oh, and don't give me this where you can work for 7-Eleven. Please don't say stupid. Or Walmart. Don't, you know, that's not a career. That's a freaking prison sentence. Um, so the 51-year-old, if they haven't prepared properly, um, is, I guess, some serious angst about the future because they haven't prepared for it. 
and that's what we're gonna that's what I wanted to talk about in depth now is that I see many people who are not preparing or who have not prepared or have not lived their stage of life properly who are listening to people like you see on Instagram or other places on social media. They're told all these crazy things about how they can instantly fix things. They can turn it around right now. So they're given the impression that what they haven't prepared for all this time and which is bearing down on them, it's not a problem. Um, there's one woman I, I feel, I think, I just think this woman needs to, she needs treatment on levels that I don't know who can provide it. She is so self-deceived. It's just amazing. Amazing she, that she's so self-deceived. And she presents a message to other people that is disjointed and bizarre. Um, I mean, I can't even follow her. And usually I can follow people even when they're completely mad. I can understand them. I just, the only thing I understand about this woman is she must have suffered tremendously. Uh, tremendously, you know, in just in the basics of life. Um, it's obvious that she feels unloved, that, you know, she's doing this all on her own and that nobody really loves her. She's not, and certainly no man that loves her is interested in her. These things are very evident. And for her, the battles in life are moment to moment. She's so fixated on herself and her situation that is some, I'm sure if you could get her in therapy, she would admit to it's a moment-to-moment thing. She's, you know, tenaciously worrying about moment-to-moment, uh, which is no way to live life. But her messages to people uh, say the contrary. And I think people who are similar to her will listen to this stuff and believe that this will be um, the solution. She talks about energy, transmitting your love to people when you're not there, chakras, all kinds of stuff. Um, and that we are our own God and we are our own creator. And the, the, It's very bizarre language. It's, it's, you know, it's the language of insanity. It's the language of PTSD, the language of probably a very good person. I think she's she's a nice person, seems charming, seems, you know, non-threatening. She just seems like a nice woman. Um, but you can't discount the fact that the things that she's saying, the solutions she's offering for people in the struggles of life and in wanting to be make a difference in the lives of other people, make a difference in your own life. If, what I'm saying is that if you examine what she's saying, it's madness, and it's not going to work. I'll tell you what shortcuts always do, and this is basically what she's doing. She's preaching shortcuts. Whether she wants to or she's aware of it, that doesn't even matter to me. What matters to me is the fact that she's preaching shortcuts. This is the danger of shortcuts. And this is why people who take shortcuts become addicted to taking shortcuts. 
it's, <laughs> it's like gamblers. They're addicted to gambling. Well, people who take shortcuts get addicted to, to taking shortcuts. And the primary reason is this. Most of the time, shortcuts offer a temporary solution to the problem. Even if the solution is just you're not feeling the brunt of what's going on. Um, like, like people, I've seen men and women do this. Um, I saw this woman. I really liked her, too. She was a lot of fun. But she was crazy as hell. She really was. Um, she had a stack of work she had to do on her desk. And, you know, phone was ringing. And, everything. and she said, you know what? F it. I'm just not going to do the damn work. That's right. I'm just going to answer those phones because, you know, I got to answer the phones. But that paper is just going to sit there to hell with it. I'm not busting my ass one more moment. I mean, it was just, and I was laughing because <laughs> I couldn't believe she was saying this. Because what does it mean if she says she's not going to do her job? She's going to get fired. So, so I was laughing. She said, what's so funny, George? And I said, what's so funny is what you say you're going to do. No, I'm serious, man. The hell with this bullshit. That's what she said. I, I'm not doing it. The hell with it. And I said, well, how long do you plan on doing this? She said, I don't know, because I just don't give a damn. I'm sick and tired. She's just going on this tirade. So I kept laughing because I couldn't believe it. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then she said, well, maybe later I'll do some of it. So she was beginning to yield to her own declaration. But it was funny. But the thing was, her solution for lessening, you know, lightening her stress or lessening her stress and not feeling overwhelmed was to just not do anything. You're working for a company who's paying you to work and your solution to doing the work is not doing the work. You don't last long when you do things like that. But I don't know if she realized that or came to the conclusion that, no, this isn't going to work. I don't know what it was that changed her mind. But when I was standing there laughing and saying, wow, I said, this is freaking crazy. I said, you realize that, right? But no matter what I said, and then all of a sudden she yielded. And I don't know why, other than she probably realized it isn't feasible for me to say I'm not going to work and expect to get paid. They'll, they'll find, I don't know what she, she never told me. I never asked shortcuts and like people on the internet offer, just do this, just do that. I've discovered this. I've discovered that, you know, whatever they declare, most of them are shortcuts. Now the one I'm going to tell you a shortcut. Oh, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, give you an example so you can tell whenever you hear something, whether it's a shortcut or it's well thought out and one that probably will work. Shortcuts are always immediate solutions and they promise complete, uh, a complete, you know, dissolution of the problem. So if, if you do this, the problem solved. That's that's the one characteristic of a shortcut. The second characteristic of a shortcut is sometimes you don't have to do anything or you don't have to do very much. Second attribute or characteristic of a shortcut. Third, not taking responsibility for it. It's not your problem. You didn't cause it. It's something else caused it or this person or whatever. 
So you're told it's not really your responsibility. So they don't feel any guilt for it. Um, that's, yeah, that's another one. Um, these are in order. Uh, and another characteristic of the shortcut is in the immediate, they seem to work. As crazy as it might be, it seems to be working. Uh, but if you really looked at it closely, you would discover it was you not really being engaged in it or, or working on it or whatever. Um, that's why the pressure is off you. There, there's the psychological reasons for this. The pressure is off. You feel like you have a solution. You're not obsessing over it like you were because you think you have the solution. You think it's going to work out. So if it works out to any appreciative degree, you're going to say that the shortcut worked because it seems to have worked. And then the sky starts falling. <laughs> that's the way of shortcuts. That's what always happens with shortcuts. They deliver in the immediate and then they freaking fall apart as time goes on. So if you have someone who's telling you they have the, they have a solution it's going to take care of all your problems. Um, you don't really have to do anything about it. You know, the things I just mentioned, that's a shortcut. And it's going to work against you in the long run. Now, maybe in the first five minutes, first hour, two hours, whatever, the time frames vary. There's no way to put, um, there's no way really to put your finger on what the time frame is going to be. But it's going to be brief. I can promise you that. Now, what is the difference between a shortcut and an actual plan or goal with the effort? First of all, shortcuts um, never offer a timeline, a fixed timeline. There might be an approximate or an estimated, you know, time time frame, but usually there isn't. Usually, you're they talk more about the things you're going to need to change and the efforts you're going to have to put into it. Um, organization. They talk about reasonable everyday things you need to do. That's the first thing. Sometimes depending on the problem, they can forecast whether it might be, you know, you know, a, a short duration or a long term. So there's some things like, for instance, alcoholism. If you want to quit drinking that is an effort you're going to have to make for the rest of your life. That's a long, long term because there's several stages to it. And the final stage is you lose your desire for it. All the other stages are preventive. You don't go to bars. You don't um, have alcohol in your house. You don't expose yourself to alcohol. I mean, there's a lot of preventive uh, measures but later on, when you've been away from it a long time and your life is, is stable and all that, um, typically you lose the desire to drink. So it doesn't have that hold over you anymore, that pull on you, because you've lost your desire to do it. The only thing you need to do at that point, once you have lost your desire, is never think you can quit again. And this has been told to me by people. Um, I never was an alcoholic, so I have an experience. I have an experience needing a drink, or or drinking in the morning. All the things that are characteristic of an alcoholic were not me. Now there were times, yes, I got drunk and was partying with friends and all that kind of stuff, and 
the effects of alcohol, but I never needed to take a drink or never felt overwhelmingly wanting to take a drink, never had that experience and hated to get drunk, hated those headaches. But I can understand that um, with things I did uh, have to overcome uh, and subsequently lost the desire for it, I know the process, not with alcohol, but with other things. So when you're, um, when you're given the difference between a shortcut or um, a real solution, a long-term, what you're going to find is that the real solution does not offer a complete, uh, excuse me, sorry about the yawning. I thought I slept well. It doesn't give you a complete um, solution to the problem. It does not promise that every single thing is going to be satisfied, you know, um, to your acceptance. It doesn't do that. So, whereas the shortcut tells you, hey, uh, all your dream is the frickin', I call it the Pedro speech, you know, or Pedro statement. All of your dreams will come true. No, they're not. They're not. They're not gonna, all your dreams are not going to come true. Your wildest dreams. Yeah, all your wildest dreams will come true. No, absolutely not. In life, with the real approach to, to this, Real approach to solutions for problems, there are going to be trade-offs. There's going to be satisfaction in one area and dissatisfaction in another, especially dealing with people. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, if you want to avoid a lot of heartache, a lot of wasting your time and just disappointment and such, it's good to know the difference between a shortcut and a true solution. It's good to know that shortcuts um, do not deliver. Um, it's good, and it's good to know that true solutions deliver where shortcuts can't. Though you may not get the 100% satisfaction value out of a true solution, most of the time it will satisfy you because it did most of what you wanted. Yeah, where shortcuts tell you. Uh, you don't have to do any work. True solutions realize you do. And the, the, the degree, well, the satisfaction, the level of satisfaction, a lot of times is tied directly into the degree that you really tried to solve your problem. <clears throat> so you have the responsibility that a shortcut tells you you don't have. I tell you these things because when you're really in, a, in the soup is what we used to call it. I mean, you're in a world of crap. I mean, it's very tempting to think that a shortcut is going to really make a difference. It's, it's tempting because you want the problem, you know, solved. You want it taken care of. You want to be freed from um, everything associated with that. Um, so being told it's a long-term solution could be discouraging. Being told this is going to take time. You're going to have to work on it. It isn't always going to go your way. Those types of things to a person who is, is down and out um, are very depressing. Um, and they're unmotivating, too, especially if you say, and I've had people say this to somebody. Um, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I chewed them, chewed them out a couple of times, too, because it was so shocking that somebody 
who's pleading for direction and help and knows they need to. And you say to them, well, you know, you got yourself into this. You just got to get yourself out. And hell, I don't know. You know, I don't even know if you're ever going to get out of this. I mean, people who say stuff like that, you really do have to wonder, you know, if they're playing with half a brain. Because that is not what you say to someone who is discouraged. Someone who feels this immense guilt for the things they did. And they're dying. I mean, literally dying to fix it. You don't say things like that. Okay. Getting close to the end. Let me sit up here. I was doing the old Roman where they lay on their side kind of a thing. Um, the reason, the whole reason this podcast was to help you understand the difference between the two, help you identify. So in your own life, when you're faced with things that you're working on or things you need to change, um, decisions you have to make about how to do something and stuff like that, especially, and this is really the most of it. This, this is probably one of the most important parts to it. All of the other stuff is important, but this is one of the most. And that is when you are trying to deal with something in your life and you're listening to other people tell you what you should do. Uh, people are good about telling other people what they should do. It's just human nature. Now, I draw the line separating advice you know, where people are trying to really help you. And advice is when people are trying to really help you. So when when someone's saying, and, oh, and we were going to cover that real quick too. Advice and counsel um, versus them wanting to control your situation. In other words, the people who, and sometimes people will say this, you don't know what you're doing. Let me just figure it out for you. You hear people say stuff like that. Advice and counsel works with the person. Um, Compulsion and control work against the person. So if a person is really trying to help you, they might run scenarios in front of you and ask you, well, what do you think about this? Have you tried that? Um, They may give some examples of how they handle something similar, but usually they're very careful about that because they don't want, well, I tell you why I don't do it. I use personal examples I'm just sparingly because I don't want the person to, to, to think that I'm trivializing their, their experience and like, I, you know, yeah, I didn't, well, basically, yeah, I know what I'm doing because this is what I did. So I, I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're, it's very, it's, you don't realize how sensitive some people are to things like that. So it's much better just to say, okay, well, well, like I helped somebody recently work through something. I, I said, they're telling me they're having money problems. And I said, well, why do you think you're having money problems? And they said, I'm not making enough money. And I said, well, how much money would you need to make to not have money problems? So that's how the conversation went, questions. And they answered, and I asked more questions. Well, I got to this question. I said, is there any chance you're going to be able to make more money than you are making now? And they said, no, I don't think so. I'm making 20 bucks an hour is probably all I'm going to be able to find you know, based on my experience and my, my education, I don't have a college degree, and they use that against me, which is true. A lot of companies do. 
uh, it's, it's convenient to pay people less money because you say, well, you know, you don't have a college degree. If you did, we'd pay you more. Bullshit. <laughs> because if you, I'll give you an example on that. Um, you do an interview. You've been working in your job for 12 years. You're very skilled. Your promotions, your record reflects that you know your job. You're good at doing your job. And you accept more responsibility. You're willing to accept more responsibility and you handle the responsibility well because you started out as a laborer. And then you got promoted as a framer. Then you were a crew leader. Now you're a superintendent. That is a very well-established track record of somebody who is able to do their job and learn many more things and accept responsibility on a higher level and get things done. That's why he got promoted in 12 years. He went from a laborer to a superintendent. Pretty, pretty good track record. Not exceptional, but pretty good. So when he's sitting in front of somebody who is looking to hire him as a superintendent and tells him, well, we can only pay you $50,000 a year as superintendent, which is outrageous. And he says $50,000 a year because he's shocked because he should have be being offered like 75 or 80. And they say, well, you know, you don't have experience. Oh, no, no, excuse me. You don't have a college degree. We see you got a lot of experience and, you know, you went from a labor. So in other words, they actually use your past against you. They say to you, yeah, we see, you know, you started out as a labor superintendent 12 years. That's pretty good. But, you, but somehow you never seem to be able to get a college degree. It's all fraudulent. Especially when they say, well, if you had a college degree, we'd pay you more. No, the deal is this. They're using it against them to not pay them more money. That's what the whole thing is. Because if you're hiring him to be a superintendent, he has proven himself. Yeah, he's proven himself. And he has a well-established record to reflect. He's capable and he's responsible. So what does he do? He gets things done. That's what he does. He gets things done. He works with all different types of people. He's a problem solver. That's the kind of person you want as a superintendent, someone who solves problems for you. Because as a project manager, you're too busy on the next level of things. You can't be the superintendent, too. Okay, so keep in mind, um, if you listen to other people, if you're prone to take other people's advice, you think it's advice. Sometimes it's not. If you go to social media for the solution to your problems, you're going to be swimming in the sea of crap because there'll be good and bad and everything in between. You're going to have to do research on your problem. You're going to have to look at the lives of other people. Look at your parents. The person who told me making $20 an hour and didn't have prospects of making more than $20 an hour, what I said to them is, well, if you're not going to be able to make more money and making more money is the solution to your problem, what do you think you're going to have to do? And they said, I don't know. And I said, well, I have some suggestions if you want to hear them. They said, okay. I said, stop smoking. What? I said, well, aren't like cigarettes $8 a pack? And you told me you told you smoke two packs a day? And they said, well, yeah, but you know, I've been smoking for years. And I said, well, then quit. 
If you quit smoking, you'd be saving $16 a day. $16 a day is $460 a month. So that's $460 a month you don't have now. I said, then they drink too. So I said, in drinking, I said, I bet you if you quit smoking and drinking, you'd save maybe $1,000 a month. Yeah. And if you figure they're making $20 an hour, that means they're they're making what, 20 800 they're making $3200 a month after taxes they're probably making 28 so if you take $2800 and they're spending a thousand of it on alcohol and cigarettes they're only left with $1800 to live on per month but if they quit smoking and drinking they just now they have $2,800 a month. Now you could say, as this person said, well, I like to smoke. And I said, well, that's fine. If you like to smoke, then you're going to have to find another way to live within your means. Because if smoking and drinking is that important to you, then you're going to have to look at something else in your life that you are able to take out of your life to provide more more of your money available to you. That's simple, simple math, simple, you know, approach to living within your means. You determine, and I told him about a budget. You do your budget. You see exactly what you have to have every month to survive. Then you do a second list. What do I have to have to survive and enjoy life? And you see what that is. So say, for instance, you have $3,200 available every month. And then after taxes, you have 28. Let's just say 28, knife your own figure. You do your first, which is existing, your budget for existing. Okay, so you see your budget for existing takes $1,400 of the 28. It takes half your money just to exist. Okay, but to exist and enjoy life, it takes $2,000. That means you only have $800 left to invest, to put in savings, all that kind of stuff. If you have other things that are unnecessary to life and, and don't really bring happiness, say, for instance, a gambling problem, you got $800 left to gamble or to spend on a hobby or something like that non-essential and non-contributing things to life, wasting your money, basically. I know some people just go out and eat fast food every day. That's what they do. They just eat fast food. One of them, I talked to him and convinced him to make his own lunch from home and don't do fast food, don't buy soda. I said, just, you know, get, bring stuff from home, make sandwiches, you know, apple, whatever. He was shocked how much money he saved. He said it his own words, it's freaking crazy how much money I have. He said, I never realized. It's just sodas alone, $350. He said, I, I just never, I never realized. And I said, well, you do now. <laughs> I said, you, you do now, and that's the important thing. If you're saving $350 a month from not buying soda, that's pretty good. Yeah, I applauded him because he was, well, he just kind of went off the deep end too. Once he started living like that, 
it was like he started taking all kinds of stuff out of his life. Um, I mean, it was, it was, I told him, I said, you'd be careful. You're going to freaking work yourself right out of existence because then he stopped going to the movies. Um, and started just watching movies on home, even if they weren't the current movie, he'd watch older movies. So he might watch John Wick, the original, um, because, you know, John Wick 2 or 3 hadn't come out, so he'd just watch the old one. So what he did was he made changes in his life to get more control over his life, and he paid the price. Now, he never truly, in my opinion, learned the difference between shortcuts and long-term planning and solutions. He didn't really have, you know, the intellectual grasp of the difference, but he had the practical grasp of the difference and he applied it to his life and he was doing quite well i was really impressed with him because he was freaking hellbound to not go back to his old ways he had made changes in his life they were benefiting him and he he was not to be moved this is how he was going to live from now on. I, and I told him i said don't you know don't get to the point where you're freaking living in a monastery eating moldy bread you still have to have a little reward you have to have a little splurge you know maybe you say to yourself you're making saving all this money now maybe you say to yourself okay once a month or twice a month whatever i'll go out and eat a steak i'll go out or maybe i'll just buy a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and a gallon of milk and go nuts one day i said you gotta splurge a little to reward yourself or you'll lose balance in your life and if you lose balance, you're going to be what? Unbalanced. Yes, thank you. I gave you the answer, damn it. All right, that's it. Oh, I almost said the whole breakfast taco. Can't believe she said that. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's so wrong. You would think that a person would know better than to say something like that, but they feel so secure. They're so conceited. They feel secure in their positions. And that makes them vulnerable to outbursts like that for saying things, revealing themselves. And that's the joy of it. All right, that's it. Goodbye. Oh, yeah. Um, give it a try and see if it makes a difference.